0: Yama, I'm your host, Nairi Pakai, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, 20th of December. Coming up on today's show, an interview with artist Tony Albert. He shares with us what's lighting up the Sydney Opera House for next year, a cross-cultural display of multiple Indigenous ways of navigating the sky. And we revisit an interview announcing the 2024 Korean Knockout location, also, some stories from NITV's Summer Yards. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news.
1: Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Palmyra. The native title
2: legislation must be amended.
3: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came.
1: I am sorry.
0: In this bulletin, specialist homelessness services supported over 74,000 Indigenous people from 2022 to 2023. Flood assistance is being made available to access from today for those who qualify. And following this week's alarming loss of life on New South Wales roads, three people have died. Authorities are urging drivers to take extra care on the road this holiday period. New data suggests 74,700 Indigenous people received support from specialist homelessness services in 2022 to 2023. The Australian Institution of Health and Welfare has found in Victoria there was a record rate of First Nations people seeking help for homelessness. It comes as frontline homelessness services call for more support as they struggle to provide aid for a record number of people. Business owners in Cairns say flooding in the region has dealt a blow on business, as their usually busy Christmas period is being hampered by floodwaters and airport closures. As farmers expected the flooding to take a heavy toll on the crop productions, other businesses also fear the cyclone and flooding will slow tourism into Queensland as holiday goers fear travelling to the affected areas. One business owner in Cairns says the reef cruise business has suffered great losses in recent weeks.
4: Yeah, well, we haven't had full operations since the 7th of December. That was in the lead-up to Cyclone Jasper and then obviously the rain event afterwards. So uh, today's the first day that we're getting back to full operations. So there's been a huge impact on our business. We've probably lost uh, something like 3,000 people that we would have carried over that period. So you're talking in excess of $600,000 in terms of revenue that we uh, won't receive. One off to
0: start. Disaster recovery payments will be available for those who suffered significant losses due to the flooding. People are also affected by ex-tropical cyclone Jasper in North Queensland will be able to apply for government assistance from 2pm today. The disaster recovery payment is a one-off payment of $1,000 per eligible adult and $400 per eligible child who suffered a significant loss as a result of the floods. The local council areas eligible include Cairns, Cassareri Coast, Mareeba, Tablelands and Wadjuwadju. Emergency Management Minister Murray Watt told ABC uh, income assistance will also be available.
4: What we know is that there are a lot of areas that are cut off at the moment as well and there'll be an income support payment available for people who can't get to work or can't get to their business of up to 13 weeks at the job seeker level. So that builds on the earlier assistance yeah. we've provided, but there's that they'll be available from 2pm today.
0: Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is also expected to travel to the region late Thursday and Friday. The Northern Territory Labor factions are searching for a new leader eight months out from election after Chief Minister Natasha Files quit over undisclosed shares in a mining company. Ms Files said her undisclosed shares in South 32, the world's largest manganese producer, had f- fallen short of her own standards. NT treasurer, treasurer Nicole Manson returned from holiday in Bali to stand for the le- in for the leadership. With Infrastructure Minister Joel Bowden and NT Attorney General Chancy Peach also in the leadership mix. But Northern Territory Opposition Leader Leah Finishario, Finishario told Sky News to the change of Labour leader isn't going to solve the current issues in the Territory.
4: Ultimately, Territorians aren't silly people and Labor have been treating them like fools for a very long time. We've got skyrocketing levels of crime and economy going backwards and a Labor team who have been dogged by scandal, particularly this year, who simply can't get on top of the issues that are important to Territorians. And so Mm. a shuffling of the deck chairs isn't going to breathe new life into this
0: government New Zealand Prime Minister Christopher Luxon has arrived in Sydney to meet Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and to discuss the two countries' security and economic relationships. Prior to the trip, Mr Luxon had said greater focus is needed on improving the business environment in both New Zealand and Australia. In his first official visit to Australia since becoming Prime Minister, with talks expected to focus on regional security and cross-Tasman trade. Mr Luxon has paid tribute to the relationship between the countries.
1: Uh, I am very pleased that the Trans-Tasman bond remains as strong as ever, and it's been forged through that ANZAC spirit on the beaches of Gallipoli, but more importantly by 80 years of diplomatic representation, and as the Prime Minister said, 40 years of our closer economic relationship.
0: In the United States, the Supreme Court in the state of Colorado has disqualified former President Donald Trump from the ballot in the state's presidential election over his role in January 6, 2021, attack on the U.S. Capitol by his supporters. The ruling makes Mr. Trump the first presidential candidate in U.S. history to be deemed ineligible for the White House under a rarely used provision of the country's constitution that bars officials who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion from holding office. The ruling applies only to the state's March 5th Republican primary, but its conclusion would likely also affect Mr. Trump's status for the november 5th general election donald trump says it's essential everyone gets out and votes
1: don't sit home and say you know i think we'll take it easy darling
2: it's a wonderful day beautiful let's just take it easy watch television and watch the results now because crazy things can happen you got to get out. this is really important our country's at stake we have A country that's never been in trouble like it is right now. So get out and vote, whether we're leading in the polls or not leading in the polls. And in this case, we're leading by 30 to 40 points, I guess. But we got to win. Maybe we can
1: win by more than that.
0: The United Nations Security Council has met ahead of a vote on the proposal to demand Israel and Hamas allow aid access to the Gaza Strip. The proposal also states they must allow UN monitoring of the assistance delivered via land, sea, and air routes. But the fate of the draft Security Council resolution is expected to depend on the final negotiations between the United States and the United Arab Emirates, which drafted the text. The US wants to water down the language of the final text, from a secession to a possibility of suspension of hostilities. The UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process, Tor Winnesland, has encouraged UN members to vote in favour of the proposal.
2: The delivery of humanitarian aid in the Strip continues to face nearly insurmountable challenges. Amid displacement of an unimaginable scale, and active hostilities, the humanitarian response system is on the brink. Limited steps by Israel, including allowing entry of more fuel, food and cooking gas, are positive, but fall short of what is needed to address the human catastrophe
1: on the ground.
0: A council resolution needs, to, needs at least nine votes in favour and no vetoes by US, France, China, UK or Russia. Australia has joined forty nation or forty four nations in condemning the recent Houthi militant attacks on commercial ships travelling through the Red Sea. The condemnation follows the United States launch of a ten nation task force operation to safeguard commerce in the passage. Assistant Defence Minister Matt Thistlewaite has revealed Australia is Still considering whether or not to join the task force, which would require Australia to send warships into the region. Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lay has criticised the delayed
5: decision. Why is it taking so long to give our allies the response that they deserve? Is it because we lack the will? Is it because we lack the capability? Which is it? Why is it? This is weak and indecisive from our Prime Minister. We used to show up. We used to be there with our allies when they needed us. We used to support international efforts such as these. Our allies deserve us to be honest, upfront and responsive.
0: A COVID-19 variant is known as JN1 has been listed as a variant of interest by the World Health Organization. The Omicron subvariant was previously classified under its parent strain, which prompted concern among some scientists earlier this year due to its high number of mutations. There is no evidence JN1 causes any more severe disease and existing tests, vaccines and treatments are still expected to work. New South Wales Emergency Services have revealed another three people have died on New South Wales roads today as they join Premier Chris Minns to provide holiday safety advice. Following this week's alarming national road toll statistics, which found the nation's road toll is at its highest in five years, authorities are urging extra care to be taken on the roads over the busy holiday period. New South Wales Minister for Police, Yasmin Catley, joined emergency service authorities this morning to issue a road safety notice ahead of Christmas and New Year's.
5: Wear a seatbelt. I can't believe I'm still saying wear a seatbelt, but please put on a seatbelt. Reduce your speed. Make sure that you do not drink and drive. Do not drive under the influence of drugs. And make sure that you look at your surrounds, respect other drivers and take it easy. The trauma that can be caused from road accidents, not only for those people involved in the accident, but the broader community is immense. And we just want to say to people, try and be safe on the roads.
0: A rescue effort will resume today after two teenagers fell into the water at a site of a popular blowhole in Victoria. And one was swept out to sea. A 14-year-old boy and his 15-year-old friend were on the rocks at Cape Bridgewater, about 370 kilometres west of Melbourne, when a wave pulled them into the water. The 15-year-old climbed to safety and was taken to hospital, but the 14-year-old is still missing. The Reserve Bank has expressed concern Australia could experience a sharper rise in unemployment than anticipated, as the full effect of its record run of rate rises is exposed. It's been revealed the central bank's uneasiness about projects for employment across the country was a key reason for keeping the cash rate at 4.35% when it met on December 5th. The Reserve Bank has previously suggested it needs unemployment to rise in order to curb inflation. The unemployment rate increased more than expected to an 18-month high of 3.9% last month. As a month of jobs, jobs growth in November was more than offset by the growing labour force. Liberal Senator Jane Hume said told Channel 7 the federal government has done, hasn't done enough to combat unemployment and inflation.
5: One of the reasons why the RBA has to do all the heavy lifting is because they've been forced to only use monetary policy to tame inflation. And that's because the government's failed to use its fiscal firepower to do so. Mm. Last week, we saw Jim Chalmers deliver the mid-year economic and financial outlook. He had an opportunity to do something there, to send a signal to the market to say, we are going to use all the tools at our disposal as a Mm. government to tame inflation. He failed to do so.
0: And in sport, Christmas has come early in Sutherland Shire with Adam Fanoa Blake signing with the Sharks for the 2025 NRL season. One of the world's best front rowers, Fanoa Blake, has opted to join Cronulla ahead of the rival suitor St. George Illawarra on a four-year deal worth up to a $1 million a season. The West Tigers and Canterbury also weighed in with interest in signing the Enforcer, while the Dragons reportedly extended Fanua Blake a $4.4 million deal. However, after a fortnight of meetings and secret negotiations, the Cronulla executive team, Fanua Blake, has agreed to join Craig Fitzenberg's Sharks beginning in 2025. And now a look at today's weather, Monday, uh, Wednesday, the 20th, Perth is mostly sunny with 35, Broome is sunny at 34, Adelaide is mostly sunny, 21, Melbourne is partly cloudy with 19, Hobart is experiencing a shower or two at 17, Aubrey-Wodonga is partly cloudy at 29, Canberra has showers at 19 Wollongong is having rain easing up later 19 Sydney is much the same but at 22 Newcastle is having rain at 21 Brisbane is partly cloudy with 31 Townsville is mostly sunny with 31 Cairns expect a shower or two at 30 Alice Springs is sunny at 35 Darwin is having showers with a possible storm at 34 and Torres Strait Islanders are expecting showers with a possible storm at 31. Welcome back. I'm your host, Mary Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, Tony Albert, artist and now fellow with the Foundation Cartier, is bringing together Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Māori artists with Badu Gili Celestial, a year-long free projection show on the Sydney Opera House. And we revisit in an interview with Walgett Aboriginal Connection about the Curry knockout announcement. But first, let's take a look at some of the uh, stories from NITV News Team's Summer Yarns. <music> this is NITV News' Summer Yarns series. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be bringing back on, on 2023 to the stories that made us laugh, made us proud, and that encapsulate black excellence in all forms. Our news team has covered stories right around Australia about mob, speaking language, preserving words, and passing that knowledge onto the next generation. And those stories took us to a primary school in southwest Sydney. It's one of dozens across the strait now playing a significant role in retaining and reviving traditional languages. The students are learning the local Darawal language and it's all under the lead of indigenous principal. Bori, bori ba
6: revitalising language from preschoolers upwards. At Curran Public School, Indigenous culture is a vital part of the curriculum.
5: I've definitely seen, um, you know, that the pride in our Aboriginal students grow, the sense of connection, the sense of belonging, and that now transfers to their literacy skills, to their numeracy skills, to their attendance.
6: The kids are taught Dharawal language by tutors from the Gujaga Foundation. We send out two tutors per week on a Wednesday, uh, and they come in and deliver durable language lessons and that ranges from body parts to land animals, sea animals, verbs and then short sentences. It's part of a larger strategy by the New South Wales Department of Education to strengthen the educational outcomes for Aboriginal students and all students. Curran Public School is one of 33 schools across 23 communities in New South Wales that is a part of the Connected Community Strategy. Another includes Bokanya Central School in northwestern New South Wales where kids are learning the Barkindji language. The Connected Community Strategy is all
4: about offering 33 of our schools an opportunity to enhance educational outcomes for kids with an Indigenous background. What works for our
6: Aboriginal kids works for all kids. The strategy sees schools welcoming the community within their gates, including parents who get to see their children learning Indigenous culture firsthand. Today she actually made me cry when she came in here and she was like, Nugambi, and then she said, like, my name is all in language, and I was like, oh my goodness, yes, I'm going to cry. Yes, no, she's very proud to learn language. And I'm going to cry because she makes me proud learning language. (laughs) Sorry. Strengthening identity with language and culture. Ricky Kirby, NITV News.
0: At Hopevale in Far North Queensland, the community is doing its best to ensure its children get some of the same opportunities city kids take for granted. The youngest residents are now taking ballet classes. The barefoot ballerinas, as they're known, have collaborated with their teachers to write their own music to dance to, and songs in local Gugu and yad. Yamata language.
5: There's an enthusiastic troupe of budding ballerinas in Hopevale in Australia's far north.
3: They come and ask me, when are we doing ballet, when are we doing ballet? And I'm like, oh, I've got to remind myself to open up the classroom for them to practice and just get involved.
5: They're in their third year of lessons after starting out on Zoom because of COVID. Now they're on the cusp of their biggest performance yet. It's the final run-through for the barefoot ballerinas before they perform in front of some of their biggest fans.
0: I like doing the spins
5: and doing um, the pliés and when the yiki comes. A yiki, if you're wondering, is a ghost in the local Gugu Yamatha language. Tamara Pearson created this routine, a combination of contemporary and traditional dance.
2: This is a ballet they really are little stars because all of them are, the whole school are, because once they know that it's showtime, it's showtime. We get to go on TV, we get to... After this, we get to get our
5: holiday. This performance has an extra special element. The ballerinas are performing to a song they helped write. <laughs> The song is called Taramali, meaning the storm in Gugu Yamata language, something the community faces regularly in cyclone season. Auntie Lillian Bowen teaches lessons in Gugu Yamata and helps the students with their lyrics. That's what I like, doing something, making songs up with what the children are very
1: familiar with. They see it, you know, around them.
5: And how adorable do they look? Tonight, school principal Tamara Gibson is lead vocals.
0: It's just so catchy but so meaningful at the same time. It's teaching our kids the language. I think the kids are starting to um, speak it fluently now, um, um, because it's taught really well in the school. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and NITV Radio talks with Tony Albert, Aboriginal artist and fellow of Fondation Cartier, about what's going on at the Sydney Opera House. We speak with Tony Albert an Aboriginal man who was born in Townsville with connections to Giramai, Yidinji, and Kuku Yalanji people of the forest region. Tony is a well-known Indigenous artist who has now taken on a new challenge as a curatorial fellow with the foundation, Cartier Polar Art Contemporian, with animation by Yarnology and a soundscape by Nigel Westlake, Te Kahurere Moa Tomata and Te Kuru O Based on the physical woven works of Gail Mabo of Myr Island, she creates star maps of bamboo and cotton. A Māori woman of Te Rārawa and Napui descent, Niko Hidden, creates Aote, a Māori-made bark cloth star map. Mr Albert talks to NITV about the stories told by Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and Māori seafaring peoples depicting our skies and waterways. Hi Tony, um, I'm Nairi Pakai, I'm here with SBS, part of NITV Radio News and uh, we wanted to talk to you about the project that's actually already started on the 15th, um, Badu Gili Celestial and I was hoping that you would give us us and the audiences um, uh, some insight into what this is.
4: Sure. Well, Bartok Gilly is a um, this iteration is a partnership with the uh, Biennale of Sydney and the Sydney Opera House, and has been commissioned uh, through the Foundation Cartier, um, which I am the inaugural. Uh, Indigenous Curatorial Fellow. Um, It's um, an initiative of the uh, projections on the Sydney Opera House, and Celestial brings together two artists, um, Nico Hinden, a Maori artist from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and Gail Marvo, um, an incredible uh, Torres Strait Islander artist um, living and working in North Queensland. And they both are looking at uh, the the way in which the stars were used to navigate um, in our histories, um, and whilst we, um, and they both as artists look up to the same sky and stars, the different stories that are told through different generations um, are uh, what they've um, used as the inspiration behind their projections.
0: You just talked about some of the artists in this, and I wanted to know, with having multiple artists involved in this, multiple Indigenous and Aboriginal artists and Torres Strait Islander artists, what will people see from this cross-cultural and multi-Indigenous artwork?
4: Yeah, well, uh, what's really, you know, great about this is the opportunity to engage with Indigenous cultures uh, globally. Um, and there's a number of artists through um, this process, First Nation artists from across the world, but in Buttergilly particularly um, with our Neighbours in New Zealand um, and Gail Marbo from the Torres Strait. It just gives this opportunity to look at how, since time immemorial, that um, our people have used and utilised um, the stars as a form of navigation, a form of uh, storytelling. Uh, it, it brings through um, creationism. And I just love the idea that um, that so many stories have come from the same series of stars or the way in which our people have looked to the stars throughout history um, and, and seen, um, you know, based on where we lived, um, different ways of, of guiding and navigating, um, and the fact that you know we get to share them uh, together and, and learn from each other and learn those differences, and in some cases the uh, not just the differences but also the similarities. And as First Nations people, when we come together, we love to share that knowledge and understand the different stories and the different ways that these have been interpreted over time.
0: So I wanted to ask a little bit about with having multiple artists and multiple ways of art being shown because it's not just visual it's also um, a soundscape and there's lighting there's obviously a crew behind this and then it's animation along with a know that the original pieces from Gail Marbo are these physical woven pieces to be able to map the skies. I wanted yep. to know how did this collaboration come about with so many different um, artists uh, doing different disciplines come in for this collaboration
4: uh, Well during that uh, central thematic of the Celestial, um, we're reaching back to knowledges and systems that both Gail Mother and Nico Hinden use in their own work. So with Gail, it's uh, taking a star map, which is actually something handheld and quite small. And in her own um, artistic ways, she's been able to uh, make them on a grand scale, um, which are shown you know, in various institutions and art galleries. And Nico Hinden's goes back to a uh, cultural way of making paper and presenting the maps. Um, in uh, a cultural technique which she's kind of reviving. So in a similar way, both artists are taking up a cultural practice but not only making it their own but um, uh, pushing the limits and boundaries of its presentation and and, and the scale um, of the work. And then when you look at um, Baru Gili, which is uh, the projections on the Opera House, we're adding people like Yarnology who are um, an Indigenous-based um, animation company that have used uh, and worked with uh, Gail and Nico in animating the two-dimensional work into this kind of three-dimensional renders which
6: move
4: and um, uh, have, you know, these these kind of all these different attributes to them and then both artists have worked with different members either of their community um, or composers in soundscape as well. So it's a very sensual way of uh, looking and rethinking their work um, and, and how it can be presented, um, and it's taken you know, a whole lot of people from all different disciplines uh, being involved uh, to make that happen, um, but it's kind of, I think, the success of uh, you know, something like uh, the projections that um, many people with different skills are coming together to uh, make the vision of the artist come to life in such a kind of spectacular way.
0: This is also the first major collaborative, creative collaboration between the Opera House, the Biennale of Sydney and the Foundation Cartier. Why is mm-hmm. this collaboration of art institutions significant?
4: Well, this is really significant partnership because it not only involves the Biennale of Sydney and the uh, Sydney Opera House, but then we've got the Foundation Cartier, which is a major international foundation in terms of contemporary art. And what, you know, more and more is happening is that, um, internationally, the works from, uh, First Nations people in Australia, um, particularly around the globe are actually really being noticed and, um, with intrigue and people want to learn and know more. And I think to have, um, uh, uh, institution like the Foundation Cartier not only interested but willing to put the funds behind the opportunity to engage further for artists to dream big and create on large scale um, shows I guess not just Australia but the rest of the world that they're interested people want to learn about this this history and these knowledge systems and the more I guess This can go out, um, into the vernacular globally, the greater presence, um, that First Nations methodology and thinking, I think, um, you know, it it really brings and adds something really important to the conversation at a really critical time where we're looking at big issues like climate, when we're looking about big issues about, uh, uh, living and, 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 uh, family entities and our identity, um, the way in which we share space, the way in which, um, you know, all these kind of really intrinsic things that are very uh, common and important to First Nations people uh, are being viewed by the mainstream um, in such um, an, an interesting way. And so that to be supported and nourished, but also understood, um, you know, globally is really significant and really important. And that's what these kind of partnerships represent.
0: I just want to say, um, your passion comes across so clearly when you talk about art. And I know you're an artist yourself. As mm-hmm. someone who is literally, I'm still studying at uni, and you're someone that I've made assessments about and uh, have studied before. Um, oh. <laughs> So you're very much an abs- like an advocate for art, for Indigenous art. Um, how is the change from being a an a practicing artist and producing? Uh, works to create, you know, conversations in community and in society, to being someone who's more behind the scenes and is more of um, working between these institutions that we have that are putting this on and these other Indigenous artists from uh, yep. here and internationally.
4: Uh, well, thank you very much. Um, what, a people, what a lot of people don't know who know me as an artist know that my an instigation within the art world was through the Queensland Art Gallery, where I actually worked for about eight years um, and was incredible kind of introduction to the art world for me. And now after 20 years with inside, um, you know, uh, within the art world, um, I'm looking more philanthropically about kind of not only where art has taken me, but the um, important ways in which we can give back to our community. And in doing this residency, or the fellowship, I should say, I really want some really strong foundation in grounding what I hope to be um, ongoing success for our uh, curators, for our artists, um, to really be pushed within to the international vernacular of the global art market. Um, and I think, um, you know, that there, there are times in our lives where we do need to take um, a back step or a backseat or, as you say, behind the scenes, um, to to, to, to uh, give opportunities uh, that are that are going to, I hope, be ongoing. As I said, I want to, this is an opportunity with some really key major stakeholders globally that will, I, I you know, further um, uh, so much for so many other people. So, for me, it's, a you know, an absolute joy to be able, not just to be doing this, but something that I, I, I know and I want to continue to evolve and grow and that other opportunities for other people to come out of this.
0: I want to thank you for, for your responses, obviously, giving your time and talking about this uh, project that's happening. Um, I also wanted to give you the opportunity uh, to talk about anything related to this that we haven't been able to touch on yet.
4: Yeah. Um, well, what I would like to say is the projections on the Opera House are happening for a full year at um, a, uh, three different times through the evening. So if anyone is in Sydney or visiting Sydney, it's a great opportunity to head down to Circular Quay and the Opera House um, and just to sit and engage and enjoy, um, you know, both artists, Gail Marbo and Nico Hinden have put a lot of Effort, time, and energy, um, and there's a real sense of generosity within their storytelling and the information from their community that they've been able to, um, you know, share. And I would just like to, you know, for everyone to know that, that that's an opportunity to engage. Um, it's free, um, it's spectacular, and, um, you know, it's, it's well worth a visit.
0: Hopefully, a lot of people will be able to get. Uh, a chance to see it then since it's going to be running for a a full year and multiple times in there not just tourists but even uh, locals and uh, maybe even people who live a little bit further from sydney will be able to have the opportunity to see it if they get into the city that's right that was tony albert uh, talking about the project, projection Baru Gili Celestial on the Bennelong side of the Opera House sails. Welcome back. You're with NITV Radio. Lawana Grant brings us an interview with Trent Rose from Wolgott Aboriginal Connection.
1: An absolute honour to be here today to announce, uh, to make this big announcement. And I'd just like to let it, let it rip, eh? The 2024 New South Wales Aboriginal Rugby League Knockout will be held here in Bathurst, New South Wales from October 4 to October 7. We're absolutely honoured. It's with the blessing of the WAC family and we're really excited to to be coming here in what will be a great venue. I'd just like to really thank the Bathurst City Council, Mayor Jess Jennings and of course Deputy Mayor Ben Fryer who have been instrumental in making sure that this will happen and um, without the support of them, you know, we wouldn't be able to come here and and really enjoy this great venue and uh, what's going to be a fantastic knockout in 2024. I'd also like to acknowledge the, the Dubbo and Wagga councils who uh, we were in deep conversations with and are very, very respectful and um, you know, understand the decision that we landed on given the fantastic opportunity we have here in Bathurst. Now this is the largest rugby league knockout in the southern hemisphere. It's the largest gathering of Aboriginal people. We'll have up to 30,000 people converge on Bathurst on the long weekend. Um, it's a celebration of family, community, culture and brilliant rugby league talent. Look, it's a, it's a positive reason for us all to come together. I really want to thank our naming rights partners, Quit Be Fit and Tackling Indigenous Smoking. This event will be a smoke and vape pre-event, uh, and we really appreciate them coming on board for this. I'd also like to acknowledge uh, Aboriginal Affairs who are, who are supporting the men's competition. They're the major partner for the men's competition for 2024. Look, there's no footy like Knockout Footy. Having the NRL's best talent, playing alongside and against country legends, rising stars and local footy legends. WAC is honoured to be the host of the 2024 Knockout and continue the tradition of the 51 great teams who have come before us, who have won and hosted the Knockout, an event that is run by us, for us. It's already the best weekend on the Koori calendar. And we're going to do our best to add our own little sprinkle of, of uh, our little, little no-limit sprinkle to it. As you can see from today's announcement, we love to, you know, really put on a good show and, and, and make a good event. Um, we, we love to have fun. We love our people and we're proud of our people. And we're looking forward to have a good time here in Bathurst in 2024. Thank you to everyone who's come out today to support it. And we're looking forward to what will be a fantastic event here in Bathurst on the long weekend next year, 2024. Thanks, guys.
3: We just heard some audio of George Rose making the announcement of the 52nd Koori Knockout location. And today I'm joined by Trent Rose from WAC to talk further. Thanks, Heats for joining me, Trenny.
2: No worries, Luana.
3: So the announcement was made that the 2024 crew knockout will be held in Bathurst. And now there was a lot of speculation as to where it would be held. Some people were saying Wagga, some said Dubbo, and some people were even saying to keep it in Tuggera. How did you guys decide on the location and what went into making that final decision?
2: Uh, Look, I think it's, to be honest, with with all the uh, local councils that we met with, um, everybody pretty much uh, pitched the same ideas and stuff to us. Um, and I think, uh, at the end of the day, probably what got us over, at, um, the line, um, was probably the, the layout of the fields and stuff at Bathurst. Um, they've got six brand new, um, state-of-the-art football fields there. Um, we went through a little walkthrough today, um, before the big announcement and, um, the fields are actually in pristine condition, and the, the the groundskeeper came up and told us that they're they're not even that good at the moment, so they're going to get even better, which is a really exciting thing to know. Considering the um, the amount of games of football that are played over the weekend, and um, you know, from the local country stars to the high high quality stars from the NRL, knowing that they're going to be playing on um, A plus fields for the whole weekend, is, it was a big was a big seller.
3: And it's so great to see it back on Wiradjuri country. The last time it was held in Bathurst was in 2011. What does it mean to you guys to take the knockout back to Bathurst and to also hold it on Wiradjuri country?
2: Look, um, holding on Wiradjuri country, um, they're, they're, I guess if we date back, uh, we, as everybody knows, um, we, we are Gomoroi men and proud Gomoroi men and we, we wear walget, uh wherever we go. Whether we're representing locally or all over the world, uh Walget's always home to us, but um, as everybody knows, the the size of the knockout now it's it's uh, not not impossible, but it's it's very hard to host it um, all the way back in Walgett due to the size of of it as it is now. So um, again, we we've had dating all the way back that the Wiradjuri and Gomorrah people are very closely connected, and um, being here on, on Wiradjuri country, it's obviously obviously a special thing, and. Um, being a part of Bathurst, um, you know, if, if we're looking back to to where things are, um, obviously those who know Walgett, uh, our dad passed away when we were quite young and um, he's buried here in Bathurst. So to play where he's buried and stuff, it's obviously a special thing for us, us boys and, and, and the WAC family because um, we play for a memorial trophy in his name every year that we put that jersey on. So um, to come back here and obviously... As you said, the last time it was hosted here was in 2011 and uh, we were the team that hosted it then. So uh, bringing it back here again is, is a special thing and then we look forward to, to where it can be this year. Um, new grounds and as, as stated earlier, new grounds and state-of-the-art fields, it's, um, it's quite exciting.
3: Now, No Limit is always putting on amazing events, and you guys really go all out. And George even mentioned this in his announcement as well. And to see the effort that was put into the press conference, I can only imagine what the 2024 knockout has in store. Can you fill us in on how planning is tracking so far for next year?
2: Well, uh, I guess the, the funny thing about it is um, that the knockout's usually not announced until, you know, usually in March or April the following year. And, um, uh, I guess us being in the place that we're in at the moment with, you know, the, the constant events that we are running. Um, we wanted to get on the front foot with any, everything and just to ensure that we do do run a, a high high quality, um, probably, to, to be honest, a world class event in, in how we want to look to prepare it and get everything sorted. So um, I guess the, the sooner we got on the front foot with everything, the better. Um, and and being able to have that extra few months up our sleeves to help plan with everything and and get everything sorted, um, I I believe that's going to show come October long weekend next year.
3: And for people looking to put in teams, what should they be doing now as next steps and what's the process? Is there a deadline to register teams and how many teams are you looking at having next year?
2: Look, um, obviously, um, we've got the men's teams capped at 64 every year. Um, we will put out further info regarding when close-off dates and everything are um, for all the women's teams, for the for the juniors teams and all that sort of stuff. We'll have the age groups available. Um, nominations are open as of the 1st of December. Um, so if, if people have got their money and ready to go, then they feel free to, to reach out. We will have information um, on our WAC uh, Facebook page Uh, also our Walgat Whack um, Instagram page, social media. We will blast it everywhere all over the country.
0: The show is now coming to a close, but you can find the full interview of that segment on sbs.com.au along with everything else that has been on the show. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories across the country. I'm your host, Mary Packay.